Hello and welcome to another episode of Belltale Rugby, our last episode before the Christmas break and the three of us are finally together after what seems like one of us was always missing. I'm Neve Campbell, joined as always by our sports reporter Adam McKendry and our rugby correspondent Jonathan Bradley and today we are just going to get right into it about Ulster's stunning 31-15 win against Racine 92 at the weekend. And I say stunning or a stun win is a good enough phrase because I think it's fair to say lads, they probably weren't the bookies' favourites going into the match. If you were going into that game thinking that Ulster were actually going to win that game, then you were very much in the minority. There is no way I would have put Ulster level on that. Like Rassing for me were favourites. Top, top of the top fourteen. All right, they they were beaten by Harlequins last week, but I still thought they put in a decent performance coming in against Ulster, who have been abject for the past three weeks and uh, had a scrum that was going backwards at a rate of knots. I don't know what the bookies were putting Ulster as level pegging on for that game. Well, they were right. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well, looking at, at stats-wise, they were seventh in the United Rugby Championship, coming off the back of three straight losses, including last week's heavy defeat at Bath and Dan McFarlane's men needed a performance and would, say, would we say they delivered then, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. Like that was the best performance of the season. I think it was in terms of the opposition, the context of the occasion, I think it was their best result not just of this season but better than anything from last season as well. And they needed that. They needed to answer a few of the questions that the previous weeks had raised, most notably in showing something that their attack was making progress. Like I'm not saying it was easy for the coaches to say, oh, we can see it, but you can't. We are creating these opportunities and soon we're going to take them. But we talked last week about how there comes a point when you have to start taking them. You know, If you're creating chances but not taking them, then regardless of whether you're a good team or a bad team, you're going to be viewed as a wasteful team. And if you look, you know, look back at the Bath game, I think it was a turnover every 5.7 carries or something equally ridiculous. But this week, they held on to the ball. That opening 10 minutes was among the best rugby that they've played in a long while. But crucially, they maintained it as well. Because if you look back to the Glasgow game, they played some brilliant rugby in that game, but couldn't maintain it and ended up losing. Even against Connacht with what was a very changed team, they played some brilliant rugby, but couldn't maintain it into the, well, beyond the 50th minute, really. But this was as consistent a performance across the 80 minutes as we've seen and as impactful, as intentful, as cohesive, as clinical a performance as we've seen from them all season as well. The Racing side had the Springbok World Cup winners, Sia and Trevor and Kenny in their pack as well, Adam, but Ulster's South Africa prop, the new boy, Stephen Kitschoff, uh, outshone both of his international teammates would you say he had a brilliant game yeah he, he was up there like Ulster needed their big players to step up as every team does in Europe and they did you know Kitchoff had a good game going what was it it was about 75 78 minutes um you had Henderson having a big game McCluskey having a big game Hume uh like <clears throat> whenever you talk about teams doing well in Europe yes you do need a, a a squad that can get you there but ultimately at the end of the day you also need big players stepping up at big moments and Ulster's players really did. Kitchoff I think was instrumental to shoring up the scrum and look I I do think where this game was won and lost like 
sort of lies somewhere in the middle. Ulster were very good, and I, I don't disagree with anything that Johnny is saying. Like the marked turnaround between the Bath game and this game was dramatic. I was also very underwhelmed by Rassing. I think out of outside of uh, Lagarek's try, I don't think they offered a massive amount in this game, and especially the the wastefulness of the of the tee. I think really added to the the scoreline between these two teams which allowed it to feel a lot more comfortable for Ulster. I do but- think there's a bit of relitigation though there, you know? It's like I don't think we can spend all week building into the game saying, Oh, this is the biggest test that Ulster will face. Um Rassing or top of the top fourteen, look at all the stars and then whenever they turn up and if you like underperform or rather Ulster make them underperform, like I don't think it does anybody any good to say, Oh well Maybe Rassing aren't any good, you know, because we spent last week saying how great they were. So I think, it- I, I take I take that point, and I don't disagree with it. But equally, I don't think it's unfair to say Rassing weren't the Rassing that we expected them to be. This isn't trying to take away from Ulster's performance, and it's not trying to, you know, t- take away from who Rassing are as a team. I think they were below par. I, I think we expected them to offer a lot more attacking threats and especially whenever you know Lagarde goes over for that try that was disallowed and I think at that point we kind of thought okay they've managed to they didn't really manage to weather the first 10 minutes they didn't do all that well but it was like that moment was kind of the the spark that kind of got them back in they were getting a foothold back in then they scored that nice try and you thought to yourself well maybe this is what's going to kick them on and then it gets disallowed and then the guy scores the actual try which is a great bit of skill from Jaber uh, to kick across and and aim off to take it and and you know set up the try but outside of those two moments i thought Rassing were just very blunt and part of that does go down to Ulster's defence which was so much better than it was at the wreck and how they were able to negate all of Rassing's threats you know we expected them to be a very physical side and Ulster really did stand up and they were counted but that's not to take away from Ulster's performance who were better you know they the physicality was much improved the scrum was much improved the mall much improved like every, every aspect of Ulster's game was much much better even in the apart backs. from the line <laughs> but well sorry apart from the line we'll get on to the line out but you know it, it was an it was a performance that was just across the board a lot better from Ulster and the question is where has that been you know we, we were talking about how the coaches have been so so stressful in terms of we are working on this and it is getting better and we're seeing signs of progress behind the scenes and we haven't been seeing it in games for them to just suddenly turn this around it's like well where has that been and Johnny made a great point in his uh, column this week which is that it, it this has to be you know the watershed moment it can't be this is a great European win and we'll just bank this and go back to what we were this has to be the moment where all right we're, we're not expecting them to be at that level every single week but that has to be the moment where you take a look at yourselves and go that's what we're capable of producing seeing off a team that is rightfully seen as one of the best teams in Europe and now we have to go on and kick on from that I think if you don't it's the thing is that it's Ulster of 20 years ago because this was a typical in isolation it looks like a typical Ulster performance from the early noughties if you like where big French physical star-studded team comes over 
Ulster, no form to speak of domestically, and they hammer them. And you look at it and you're like, why can't you do that every week? What, what, what Which is what Ulster used to do all the time. So it's, you know, Ulster have made a habit of this. The reason that I didn't expect it was because I don't think we had seen evidence that it was in the pipeline. Like, as much as we say it used to be um, something that would happen regularly, it was still something of a one-off, but they did it so regularly that it felt less of a one-off, if that makes any sense. Um, definitely needed another cup of coffee before we did this. <laughs> um, <laughs> you make sense, you make sense. Um, the thing with backing it up is that you can't then lose at Ravenhill because a huge part of why we didn't expect it was I think that and you know Luke Fitzgerald made this point on a podcast as well and sometimes it's interesting to get like somebody's perspective from who lives outside of the province and you know is more attuned to his former team Leinster he was saying that Ravenhill has become a much much easier place to come and it doesn't have the same aura about it that it once did of it's going to be a really difficult place to go Weather's going to be bad. He actually mentioned the surface as well. You know, it's going to be easier to play on. And in our preseason podcast, I spoke about the need that I felt to reestablish Ravenhill as a really difficult place to go. And that probably hadn't happened up until Saturday night because you had the loss to Edinburgh and the fact that everybody else that had came here this season was in the game until the very end. So you got the feeling that teams were coming to Ravenhill thinking that they could get a result, confident that they could get a result, whether they did or not. And I think it's really, really important that Ulster do continue this trend from the weekend and re-establish it as a difficult place to go. And that starts on Friday night against Connacht, who we talk about it all the time. Connacht you know, hadn't won in Belfast since JFK was president and then have now won three times in the last five, six seasons, you know. So it's that home record and re-establishing that home record. The atmosphere was really good on Saturday. That was the best the atmosphere's been. So that's a big part of it. Uh, I think the crowd were brought into the game by how the team started and the team were lifted by the crowd. So it's a symbiotic relationship and that's what it's always going to be. Interesting, I suppose, as well to note that there was only 12,000 people there for the biggest game, European game of the season. That's actually below even the average the average attendance of last season was 13,000. So um, not an awful lot of people there, despite the noise that was made. And part of bringing those fans that have left back, I guess, well, part of it will be not having a game on the day of a transling strike, whatever, but um, part of bringing those numbers back to what you would expect for the glamour European game of the season um, is going to be people going to Ravenhill simply expecting that Ulster are going to win. Well, that, that's exactly how you bring people in, in the door. Like, <laughs> I always hesitate to bring up Giants points because, but, you know, the Belfast Giants are selling out games this season and for a long time they were 7th, 8th in, in the league, in a 10-team league. Like, you're not selling out because of how the team's performing this year. It's because they've generated this culture of winning. And you look at, whenever we think about examples of winning records at home in rugby, it's Claremont. It's always Claremont because they went on that ridiculous winning run. Now, Claremont weren't winning trophies, but they were just winning every time they 
we're playing at home. And whenever you have that feeling of we're showing up and we know we're going to watch a team win, people want to go. People want to be part of the feel-good factor. They want to come away having watched a win, enjoying themselves. They've had a few beers. They're feeling pretty good. And they watch their team win. It's it's a fun night out. Can you tell me that everyone going home from the Edinburgh game a few weeks ago was thinking to themselves, well, everything's great. You've just watched your team lose. And on that occasion they weren't going to win it whenever the clock was in the red, so there was no even jeopardy towards the game. So it, I, I completely agree with your point that, you know, you have to turn Ravenhill back into this fortress. The, I remember whenever I was a season ticket holder years ago, you know, one of the first games I ever went to was that game that Ulster beat Toulouse by 30 points to three. And that was an incredible day out because, you know, it was Ulster upsetting this massive French giant at Ravenhill. And it's that feeling that you need to get back. It's that feeling of... Ulster are a team that we want to go and watch because they win, because they play good rugby. And ultimately, you want teams having that feeling. Every team in the world would love to have that Claremont feeling of every time we go to the Marcel Michelin, we're not going to win because Claremont just win at home. I mean, we're not going to come sorry. to Ravenhill. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, so, I, I, sorry, I didn't. Sorry, I thought you were um, but you know, like we're not we're going to Ravenhill, but we're not going to win because Ulster just win at Ravenhill. That's that's exactly the kind of feeling that you want to engender. And whether that is, you know, maybe that's also down to you know how you present yourselves at home. You know, maybe there's something extra you do that's not just how you play, but it's like making the other team uncomfortable. Like part of the Marcel Michelin is. The whole place is so enclosed, and this is, this is something that Ulster can't change. But just to use it as an example, like the Marcel Michelin is so enclosed, it feels like you know the stands are on top of you. It feels like the fans are really on top of you. It's a really steep uh, stadium, so it has that cauldron effect. Ravenhill will never will never have that because the uh, ends are open and it's it's a very you know open stadium for for want of a better word but you know it's it's something like trying to make a way for the opposition to feel as uncomfortable as possible so that even whenever you're playing the game whether you feel like you can win the game or not you start to get that sense of we're not happy to be here we don't feel like this is a game that we can win just because we're not in that comfortable mindset well you look at uh whenever bt or side tnt sport Hmm. Uh, in the game the week before yeah, just, just about <laughs> got there um, showed the footage of the changing rooms in the rack and you're like boys can't sit down because there's a yeah. room for 24 or 25 guys to sit down like maybe there is an element of it being comfortable mm. <laughs> because Ravenhill is nice so for want of a better word snazzy since they did it up but I think it is instructive that like everybody has played at home so that's 24 teams have played at home Ulster's attendance was 16th out of those 24 teams. Now, yes, we have acknowledged the TransLink strike. I TransLink strike. I don't buy the idea that it's Christmas party season because it's always Christmas party season in December. Like, and it's always cold. Well, people say, "Oh, the weather." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, these, Ulster, these things haven't just appeared. Appeared. Yeah. And Ulster, like, Ulster, the season before COVID, sold out all three of their home games over Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Like, so it's it's not. This isn't impossible. It's not like this is a trend that's continuing. Now, they can't be higher than fifth out of the attendances there because the top four, which is Bordeaux, Leinster, Munster... Sorry, the top five, Bordeaux, Leicester, Munster, Toulouse and Leinster have bigger grounds. Is the RDS bigger than Ravenel? The capacity, yeah. Leinster had the, atten- the attendance listed as 18,600. Sell it. Um, there you go. I didn't know that. I thought I thought the RDS was about sixteen. 
one thing as well, like, do you know what we always talk about? And I know you guys are talking there too, like, this one is, is momentous and it's great and everything, but they need to now turn on it. And then we also sort of talk about how players tend to keep their cards very close to their chest. But I find it was interesting. And Johnny, you actually wrote this story. Um, Stuart McCluskey, who got player of the match, um, he was he bagged one of the sides four tries on the night. He said, you know, he came out and said, I've had doubts the last few weeks when it wasn't working. And I'm sure other people had doubts, but the coaches and senior players are sticking with it and knowing eventually it will turn. Like, I thought that was interesting that he even said that because we do always wonder, you know, what are they thinking? Like, I yeah. think that was fair enough of him to be honest and admit that. Um, but in a way as well, is it maybe a bit scary that he did say it? Because now it's suggesting that, you know, they knew that it's going to turn and this, it has turned now. So it's a lot more is maybe going to be expected now. I think it's exactly what you say of it's was surprising that he said it, but I don't think we should be worried that he said it because if he had said no we always knew this was going to come good I think you would have known that they were lying Aye, because yeah. if you go through three games and not even three games eight games because they weren't attacking in the way that we know that they can the turnovers were too high there were an awful lot and I spoke about this before because people were talking about Johnny Bell and like I think you have to be fair and say that one of the reasons why the defence was under so much pressure was because they kept putting pressure on themselves by giving the opposition the ball back and it goes back to that thing that all these elements of the game are interconnected but I think like somebody actually texted me uh, like a friend of mine texted me last night about those McCluskey coaches as well um, just thinking that they, they were eye-catching and I think to be fair like you know players like McCluskey and Hume and Cooney and a good few others like Kitchoff, especially last week, he uh, was very upfront in how he thought he was playing so far. Um, when was the last time we broke out the asterisks for one of your interviews? Not for not for a while, it must be said. Um, I was debating whether to bracket it and have stuff instead, but I <laughs> no, I thought I thought we'd go for the asterisks just to just to hammer home the point. Uh, and I think the players have been. Even especially so this season, like you think back to you know Stockdale saying that he didn't really want the plastic pitch at first and things like that. I think like the players have been quite open and honest this season, and long may it continue. Yeah, I mean, I think like McCluskey's always pretty good. Like, um, but I think it was interesting because normally you get that sort of siege mentality. Everybody in the bunker no outside noise and whatever and even when I asked you know I asked him about that as sort of a follow up question and he said no like of course like I'm a fan as well so of course I sense it whenever people aren't happy and it was coming into that game especially with as we say the small crowd like there was a real sense that things were on edge and for McCluskey I suppose to acknowledge as well that the players could sense that I think that really speaks to the value of this win as well because as much as everybody says oh we don't hear what everybody's saying they do and you know there's him saying that they do so the pressure relieving nature of this win as well is huge as well on top of the a sign of progress that I think everybody associated with the province whether it be players or fans coaches will have felt like they needed and the results for Ulster at the weekend gets the 1999 champions, you were saying earlier, Johnny, up and running in Europe with five points in Poodle 2. And it does provide a big boost ahead of the visit of Connacht next weekend, who are getting welcomed to Ravenhill on Friday night. Um, that's the first of a pair of festive interpros that will also see them travel to face Leinster at the RDS on New Year's Day. 
Uh, we are taking a wee Christmas break, all of us, next week, so we won't be doing a preview of Leinster then, but we're going to finish off with it today. Um, I suppose coming up to Connacht then on Friday night, guys, um, one thing, I have the quote here, the Connacht boss, Pete Wilkins, he said that Ulster's win at the weekend there has provided a timely reminder of their strengths, but at the same time, like they got beat there, you know, very emphatically in May, as we talked about, the quarterfinal stage. Um, Ulster lost to them again in November. Do you think Do you think this will worry Connacht? Jane Connacht should be worried. I think the thing about Connacht is they're in a stinker of a run as well. <laughs> like both these sides were not under the same amount of pressure because I don't think anyone expected Connacht to go to Saracens and win. But like both these sides had lost three in a row coming in and Connacht have now lost four. Connacht conceded 96 points across their two Champions Cup mm-hmm. games. Across the four-game losing streak, they're averaging 43 and a quarter points conceded. So expect a low score this weekend. <laughs> yeah, it'll probably be 9-6 or something. <laughs> um, so Connacht, you know, it's a new coaching ticket. Obviously, they had the long preseason. They didn't have that many players who were at the World Cup. Maybe you would expect things to have bedded in better, but as we've seen with Ulster's attack, it's really whenever you stress test these in games that you maybe see what more you need to do. And I think that's really been the case with uh, with Connor's defence. You know, they've got uh, Scott Fardy and the former Wallaby international, former Leinster player. He's their he's their new defence coach, and they're obviously just shipping far too far, far too many points. I've seen them quite a lot this year, actually. Um, although to be fair, I, I switched over their game. Uh, to watch the end of the La Rochelle Stormers game because it was so one-sided mm. um, in that, well, really the end of the first half and then the uh, start of the second half when Saracens really turned the screw, got an in to the game really through their mall. Connacht's mall defence has been really, really shaky this season. So, which really, say, I thought you say another word. There. <laughs> <laughs> the and that, that really does not bode well against a team who just scored uh, three tap-and-go mall tries. Or is that, well, sorry, two two tap and go mall tries technically. Yeah, I love that. I loved the uh, I love the invention of it. Um, again, talking about uh, I suppose a bit of transparency in the quotes. I uh, loved Dan McFarland and McCluskey talking about how these moves uh, had their genesis in training and players just standing around being like, "Do you think this will work? Could we try this? What about this?" And can, it was, can we talk about that, please? The fact that Ulster's main tactic for Saturday's game was just from players messing about in training. Well, messing about maybe too <laughs> strong a word. Expressing their creativity. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, they call it labs or laboratories where they uh, have this section of training that they devote to uh, coming up with new things. And I thought it was so fascinating because if you remember the Lions game where Ulster were going for the bonus point try at, at Ravenhill because they scored their third try with half an hour remaining and their best chance to get the fourth try, which would have been the bonus point, but also make the game safe because the Lions were still in it. And they went for a tap-and-go penalty and they messed it up. And afterwards, the narrative was like, what were they doing there? Just kick to the corner and maul and score the fourth try. And we even asked Dan Soper about it afterwards. And he was like, well, you know, we would have our own ideas of what we should do in the box there. And the implication was that it it wasn't that. <laughs> So then for the biggest game of the season, to assen- let's be honest, to essentially turn on these moves that they have invented during training during the week, um, Ian Henderson coming up with the idea of generating the, the midfield mall. Like we've seen seen the Springboks do it, it so the Springboks do it in the World Cup final. Um, 
not off the top and go, but um, it it was just really clever, I thought. And like we talk about last season, certainly we talked about Ulster lacking a bit of ingenuity, lacking a bit of spark. So for that, and then I actually made this point to Dan McFarland in my question in the post-match that the middle one in particular was really uh, inventive. He corrected me to tell me that they were all inventive, but... Um, I certainly had never seen a tap penalty flicked in the air for an on-rushing player. I th- um, McCluskey was saying it was Nick Timoney came up with this. It was Nick Timoney then that took the ball in the charge as well off the Cooney tap. But it was something that was just completely out of the ordinary. And with the context of last season and even this season, you know, we talk about that Lions tap penalty, completely out of the blue as well. And like McFarland again was asked, you know, did you think about holding one of these back for a different week and in part it was Henderson in the team and he said nah let's just uh, let's just crack both of them out and see what happens like, don't get me wrong I don't have any issue with them using the tactic obviously because, because it was so successful you know there's no issues with trying something and whenever a bit of ingenuity comes off like that it's great I'm just interested in the context of the standards comments that Dan made and the questions over, you know, who's driving the standards. And now we're having comments that it's players who are coming up with the most creative tactics. It just seems like there's a lot of things that are currently going on where it seems like everything's quite player-led at the moment. I don't think player-led's a bad thing because they're the ones that have to do it on the pitch. And, like, rugby is such a physically demanding sport and you're asking so much of the players that I don't think it's a bad thing in any way for them to have some some agency in that like it was interesting as well just whenever you talk about the standards I don't want to go back into this because the semantics and syntax of the word standards has been uh, has been done to death over the last two weeks it's uh, been draining me of my will it was interesting that Sir Lancaster said a similar thing, but in a much softer way about uh, about racing and how he, what he wants, essentially, to, in order to mimic the consistency that he enjoyed with his Leinster team, is that he said he was constantly thinking about ways to improve the consistency of training because consistency in training leads to consistency in matches. So it was interesting that Sir Lancaster made a similar made a similar point. Um, I thought also Lancaster was saying that. And I don't know, maybe he hasn't read too much media around the Ulster team about the new attack, but he said that, you know, a huge part of that as well is that you have a settled coaching team and you have settled foundations, whereas he's in, um, whatever it'll be, 10 games, I think, uh, or 11 games at uh, at Racing, and they don't really have the time to work on these uh, pieces because they're doing so much of the foundational work. Um, with a new coaching ticket um, because obviously Leinster were so during his time Leinster were the team that were known for those sort of inventive Mm. five metre tapping goes To to get back to the Connick game though and to to use that word consistency that is the most important thing that you're looking for from Ulster this week as we've said you need to be able to kick on from this Racing result because 
it's, it's all well and good having those nice wins over Racing and Toulouse and Stade Francais down the years and they're nice to look back on but ultimately there is the goal in mind here of silverware and you look back on Ulster's Christmas run last year where they were dreadful and could not get a win to save their skin so now you're looking at well we've now got that win that provides proof that what we are doing is potentially going to work so now you have to back that up by saying well here's another performance against Connacht where we did it well the Leinster game we're expecting there will probably be changes because of the RFU's rotation policy and you don't want to burn everybody out over Christmas so it's going to be a really interesting one though because they have no game the next week and they have 10 days between it's just really interesting or maybe interesting to see strong or <laughs> it's strange the way the fixtures are falling because they play Friday and then they don't play again until following the following Monday and then they don't play again until two Saturdays after that. It's, it's like the schedule it's, went into that weird, you know, the weeks between Christmas don't count and they've just uh, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean like I, I've kind of Days don't feel like real yeah, days. Yeah, like I've, I've kind of been classing the New Year's Day game as like that following week just because whenever I look at it in my calendar my calendar starts with the Monday so 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 it feels like that week's game but then you're right they don't actually have a game so so yes it it does sort of it opens up the the possibility to go strong especially when Leinster play Boxing Day so Ulster have like a massive turnaround and Leinster have a short turnaround and then there's a break week the next week the interesting thing about the break week and again I may be overusing the word interesting here about the break week is that the top 14 doesn't have it either so the top 14 is playing right three which means Toulouse are playing right three I think they've got La Rochelle and Toulon mm-hmm. over Christmas and they're playing right three until they get to Belfast which is a huge game because we talk about the need to back it up against Connacht the overarching thing about what Ulster did on Saturday is that they need to do it again in the Champions Cup to get through because, yes, they're third now, but they're level on points with Harlequins. So if Ulster don't beat Harlequins, and obviously it stands to reason that Harlequins are going to get points, and Racing are going to beat Cardiff. Now, I know that we completely wrote Cardiff off the week before and then following the score along um, during the Ulster game, you're like, oh, Cardiff might actually win here. Um but it's going to take, you know, you're not going to go through on one win like they did last year. So they need another performance equal or better than the Racing one against Toulouse at home or away to Harlequins to be going through to the last 16. Well, do you think, this is probably an obvious stupid question, but do you think how Friday night's game against Connacht, however that goes, will sort of determine, you know, Leinster, sort of like big bad Leinster? Um, but do you think that'll either what's like either ruin their chances or really put them forward for actually like coming up against Leinster then the following week 100% because like look at what the narrative around this team was three weeks ago right they'd lost two games to Connacht and Glasgow but nobody was up in arms in fact we were actually quite complimentary about them grinding out wins it was only whenever they started like the wheels coming off, if you like, or the narrative that the wheels were coming off started whenever they lost to Edinburgh at home. Like people expected them to lose away to Glasgow because most teams do lose away to Glasgow. And people understood the context around the Connacht game. 
where things started to go haywire was that Edinburgh at home game where there was no excuses for the performance and you got beat and were getting well beaten um, until you came back to get the two losing bonus points. Bath, I think people thought that result could have gone either way and then the last 10 minutes made it seem that it was a complete hammering. So if you're just looking at narrative and you're just looking at perception then the perception and narrative now is that Ulster something's clicked for Ulster but if they lose at home to Connacht like that will be akin to if not worse than getting beat by Edinburgh two weeks ago so you're you're virtually back to square one if you drop this game I think well by the time Connacht and Leinster play Ulster you won't hear from us until then so we'll be back in the new year until then, thanks to everyone for listening. Um, and you can catch up with all the rugby news and views and analysis from Johnny and Adam on belfasttelegraph.co.uk or you can go and pick up the paper. Uh, until then, happy Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. And thanks for listening.